0: The, the, the pursuit of Jesus, hope giving everything is yes, the most life on the planet. I want to go straight to the Word of God tonight. There's two passages that I want to speak to you from, uh, speak to you from tonight. It's so great to see so many familiar faces and so many new faces as well. Thank you guys again so much for being here. Can't wait to connect with you at Late Night tonight. Here we go. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Luke chapter 11. And we're going to start at verse 5. We'll go through uh, from verse 5 all the way through verse 8. And... um, I'll give you a message title here in just a second. It's going to mess up the media, folks, because I've changed the message title, so don't put up the title that I gave you, okay? Um, so Luke chapter 11, and I want to start at verse 5 and go through verse 8. And so if you're there, if not, it'll be on the screens for you. Here we go. Starting at verse 5, this is, of course, Jesus talking because it's in red letters, right? Then he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let, lend me three loaves. Verse 6, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give and give it to you. Verse 8 says, and I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, everybody say persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now flip over about seven chapters or so over to Luke chapter 18, and I'll read verse one of Luke chapter 18, and we'll read eight verses here. Luke chapter 18, verse one says, then he spoke a parable to them. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Everybody say not lose heart. Saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my, from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I don't even fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming, she will weary me. And verse 6 says, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I just want to speak to you from a topic tonight, from a message that I've just simply entitled, Refuse to be Denied. Everybody say, Refuse to be Denied. Refuse to be Denied. And so, tonight, obviously, I've read to you two different parables, and we just can't assume anything these days uh, because of the biblical illiteracy in our culture, even amongst those who are in the ministry or leaders or whatever, so I'm not assuming anything tonight. So I just want to start from the beginning, or where, no matter where you are, from the parables, we've all got to firstly understand why, why the parables existed? Why it was that Jesus, out of all the different tools and techniques he could use to communicate truth and bring revelation to his disciples and those who were hearing, why he would choose the parable. Now, parables, Hebrew word for parables, a mashal, it's parabola in the Greek. The Hebrew understanding of a parable just says it defines the unknown by using what is known the greek understanding of a parable is it's it's almost something that just you throw alongside something else so it's it, it's it, in and of itself it cannot stand but because it is pointing to a greater reality it's highly relevant to every single one of us can I get an amen okay i need you to talk back to me tonight can i get an amen, amen. thank you so much all right so so a parable arguably these two parables that jesus was speaking on most Jewish commentators would, 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 would agree that more than likely Jesus told these two parables back to back. So he told the first one, even though they're not in direct order as Luke was writing it, more than likely they were used back to back. Jesus would often do this in order to really highlight and emphasize the meaning. It's kind of like whenever you tell, whenever you're trying to communicate something to someone, and you say, well, hold on, hold on, let me give you another story. All right, hold on, let me give you another metaphor. You got to get Okay, let me tell you another story. How many stories do I have to tell until you get? And so that's where Jesus, he would... Sometimes partner them together and say, okay, I really need you to understand what I'm trying to communicate to you in this moment. So Jesus, being the masterful teacher that he was, would sometimes couple his parables again to really emphasize this point. So Jesus used parables as a shadow of the substance. Parables were used to reveal the ways of God among the people whom God loved. Because it was essential at least to Jesus, that those whom he was teaching, that they would really understand the nature and the character of his father. That's why he always said, follow me. And, and, and once you've seen me, what you see in me, really, I, I came from the father. And what you see me do, I can only speak what I've heard my father speak. I can only do what I've seen my father do. So his, it was this progressive nature in bringing people into a revelation of this is who God is. But you've got to understand that roots or the, the parables were rooted and embedded deep within Jewish culture. All right, so Luke 11, the first parable, Jesus starts off and he says, Which of you? So it kind of be like him speaking in a crowd today. Which one of you? And then he begins to give a scenario that was highly probable that they had all kind of maybe at one point or another experienced in their lives. It was something relatable. Everybody understand that with okay great and so so it 's highly probable that they could they could relate to this because it probably has happened to them at one point or another, or at least the setup of it and so so Jesus tells a story, the first one there, a friend goes to the to the to the house next to his because he's got someone an unexpected visitor who's come in town he's run out of bread he ain't got nothing to give them they hungry and he doesn't have anything to give and so he goes next door he knocks on the door it's the middle of the night it's totally unexpected this neighbor and, and so everybody's checking oh yeah that's normal everybody's oh yeah yeah, yeah. you remember the time whenever little Joe came in town and nobody knew and you remember I opened up my door right and and you I gave you bread yeah everybody's just kind of checking on Jesus and then but so so up to that point the the, the parable. Is normal until Jesus gets to the point of saying, and and the friend on the inside of the house responds by saying, No, I don't have any. Go away. My children are sleeping. It's the middle of the night. At that point, everybody in the crowd would have been like, What? Huh? Because in Jewish culture, they really represented the epitome of hospitality. It would have been so shameful for the entire community, not just that one person. Everybody, everybody get a bad reputation. Everybody looking bad because of your lack of hospitality. And furthermore, the houses were so situated so closely together that more than likely this dialogue would have been heard by the entire neighborhood. Furthermore, whenever the guy says, oh, my children are asleep, blah, 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 everybody would have been like, no, 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 no. That's not a logical reason because in those times, most of the children would sleep on the floor of the living room. So at first knock, everybody would have been woken up in the house. And so everybody's just, so you get what's going on. So everybody's like, oh, you know, you can notice like a little, a little bit of roar in the crowd, like what? No. And and so it would kind of be like, it would kind of be like as ridiculous as Jesus saying, you know, to hear this neighbor, say what he said. It'd be like Jesus saying, all right, uh, you know, I, I don't really have anything to give you. Please go away. Said no one ever. You know what I'm saying? For this neighbor to be like, all right, bye, Felicia. Like, I'm out of there. And so everybody's just like, what? This cannot happen. We would never do that. So everybody's locked into the story now. And then Jesus goes on to say his response. Everybody realizes it's unethical. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous. And then he connects the story. He says, I say to you, verse 8, though he will not rise to give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many loaves of bread as he asks for, probably more than he actually, than he actually needs. And so this word here, perseverance. It's so important because if we we don't have time to go there, but later on, I mean, like the very next verse, Jesus begins to teach them about prayer. And then he says, so uh, whenever you ask, keep on asking and it will be given knock and keep on knocking. The Greek tense would bring us to and the door will be open. Seek and keep on seeking and you will. Will find. So he connects. So Jesus himself, the great teacher, connects this. this, There's various. But I, I think it's so obvious if we just read the word of God. It's obvious that this thing is connected to the idea of prayer and how to approach God. Whenever we come into the place of prayer, whenever we make it, whenever we're making requests, whenever we are asking, whenever we are seeking Him with our whole heart, whenever we are knocking on the door, and so let's move on to the second second parable here. Or wait, so perseverance. I gotta just break this down for you, just really, really quick. The, the, the Greek word there for uh, for perseverance, it's translated shamelessness. It's an uh, anadeia, I believe, and so it's on the screen. It should be on the screens for you. And so what's what's so important about this particular word is that it's translated from the Greek as shamelessness, but a better interpretation or a better understanding of this word would be locked into the original language. How many of you know that Jesus was a Jew? Come on, somebody. And so, so he spoke to Jews and he would have been speaking most likely in Hebrew or pulling his knowledge from the Hebraic understanding of this word. And so as we go from language to language, right? English to Spanish to Greek. Sometimes things don't exactly translate. So you got to kind of come up with the best understanding of the word in the Greek from Hebrew. And so, so it's better if we go a little bit deeper. We'll understand that this word, the idea that's being conveyed here is tenacity and bold persistence. Tenacity and bold persistence. By the way, whenever Jesus is talking about parables, many times he would exaggerate certain things, right? The opposite, so it, it, so obviously everybody in the story knew that he was talking about God and sometimes in order to get people to understand who someone is or what they are like, you paint a picture, the complete opposite of what they are never like, something that they would never do, a way that they would never respond, right? And so so he's bringing them to this idea that if, if, if the neighbor is moved by persistence, how much more is your heavenly father? See, Jesus had to get them to understand that God would never forsake them. He would never turn them away. If there is something that he has in the storehouses of his goodness, he would never just push them away in a disconcern or a lack of care because that is not like his father. He's nothing like it. So this idea is confirmed in Hebrews chapter 11. He who comes to God must first believe that God is, right, and that God is a rewarder of those who are diligently, wholeheartedly, fervently seeking him, right? All right, good. Okay, so as we go a little bit further, this idea of tenacity and bold persistence has its roots in this Hebrew word chutzpah. It's kind of spelled like chutzpah. But, but it's, it's khuspa. It means this, this brazen tenacity, this, this bold perseverance, this, this thing on the inside of us that whenever we pray, we pray like a man or a woman from a different planet. We don't pray like those who are praying to Buddha, to Allah, or to any other false God. We pray with this firm conviction on the inside of us. We pray with this idea of kutspa, this perseverance that God hears me. And that things will move whenever I pray. Nations will shake because I pray. Salvation will be released in such a powerful way over an entire city because I pray. And not just because I pray some nimby whammy, just a little uh, whatever kind of, well, you know, Lord, I'm so over that. We've got to raise up a generation of teenagers who know their God, who actually believe that God hears them whenever they are speaking to God. We've got to raise up an army of faith-filled teenagers and young adults in this hour. It's the only way. Y'all are a little bit quiet tonight. Everybody doing good? So this idea of chutzpah, this this tenacity, this brazen, almost offensive, it's this thing that's on the inside of us that will make others so uncomfortable. It, and as we, and I'll take you through the scriptures, Sue. It was, it was those kind of people that I see in scripture and that you're about, those are the people who actually saw an outpouring of God's power in their lives. This is the one with the issue of blood talking about, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I've got to get to Jesus because I realize that Jesus can heal me. So excuse me. I will climb on top of you. I will push you out of the way because there is such a tenacity on the inside of me. Get me to God. And so as youth leaders, and so it's not about a personality type. It's not about, oh, I'm just like emotional. Or, no, it is a firm, resolute conviction on the inside of you that God is good and that God actually hears me and God will answer my prayer. Amen? Refuse to be denied. Youth pastors, youth leaders, senior pastors, other, refuse to be denied. Denied. So in the Luke 18 passage, which is so interesting, again, more than likely, most, most commentators would agree Jesus sandwiched these two parables and he told them back to back to really drive home this point. So in light of that, let's jump over again. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men ought to always pray. So he establishes, I'm about to teach you something about prayer, right? And so men are always to prayer and not lose heart. Everybody say, not lose heart. Not lose heart. See, I, I just have a sense that some of us in the room, and look, it's no, it is what it is. <laughs> some of us, if we were just honest, we, we just lost heart because of you fill in the blank. Because this kid that you were praying for, this kid that you were discipling. I've been in youth ministry full time for eight and a half years. I I can tell you war stories, tears, the whole thing of, gosh, I gave my life away. I mean, I spent so, do you, I have forsaken, and you better, and so, and so, that stuff will cause you to lose heart, right? Or, or that one time, whenever you were working so hard to make sure that you honored your senior pastor, your senior leaders, you communicated, I am on your team, and some kind of way, that translated to Whatever, hurt and pain. Or something went wrong in your own family, relationships, children, friendship, whatever. That stuff, if it's not dealt with, if it's not submitted to the cross, that stuff will cause you to, to lose heart. And so Jesus gives this admonishment, I'm encouragement, always to pray. Always, always pray and not lose, not lose heart. In kakeo, there's a Greek word there. It means to grow weary, to become faint, to lose heart, to be discouraged, and ultimately to give up. Listen to what Jesus says specifically in the context of prayer. Don't go weary. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. And it's Imperative, so it's in the present active imperative tense. For those of you little Greek scholars out there, that'll bless you. The present active imperative, how many of you know that Jesus never gives us an imperative command that is outside our realm of doing by his grace, of course, upon our lives. So the fact that he commands it would naturally lead us logically to the reality that we can do this we can walk away from discouragement. We can do this thing without growing weary. Oh, come on. I hear the words with Paul to Galatians, grow not weary in well-doing for you will reap a harvest if you faint not, if you just don't give up. And so for some of us who came here this weekend with this weariness on the inside of you, as a brother in the Lord, as a co-laborer in this thing together, I am telling you, cast that discouragement off and leave it at the foot of the cross tonight. You're better than that. You're stronger than that. Even as John was saying earlier, so blessed me because it was so confirmational. This is the season for you to fight. There are seasons of rest. Everything, there's a time. There's an appointed purpose under her. This is not the time to just lay down. And do. This is the season where we are to rise up and fight on the behalf of a generation. Come on, somebody. And so this, this in it's so interesting. Don't grow weary. Don't become faint. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. And then Jesus says, because again, we don't have time to get there, but, but the, the judge, it would have been unthinkable. See, it's nothing to have dirty judges and all of that, like in our day, and oh, they're just lying, and justice, whatever. But, but for them, because of the, uh, because the Hebrew understanding and those who were charged with the responsibility and the position of judges, that's why Jesus had to highlight for them there was a judge who did not fear God, because the normal expectation and the common reality was that a judge feared God. That's why he would love justice, because God loves justice, right? And So it would be unthinkable. And so from the beginning of the story, a judge that don't, what? A judge that, a judge that doesn't fear God. Ooh, where's this going to go? It ain't good. I'm going to lock into this story. Right? And so, and so then he goes on. So, so the idea is that again, the just judge, God, God is nothing like this judge. (laughs) But even if he were, even if he were, there would still be a response to this, Widow who was crying out desperately. And then it's so interesting because remember, it says the judge said to himself, I, I better respond because he uses this word. Oh, gosh, I love this. Um, Though I do not fear God nor regard men. I don't even care about her. I don't care about God. But yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming. She may weary me. That word weary is so, so interesting because it's the same word that Paul uses whenever he talks about buffeting his body. It's, it's, it's a fighting. It's a boxing. It's a boxing uh, a word. And so it, it, it was almost like he was saying in the physical sense, this woman just is crazy enough to show up in my courtroom and punch me in the face. Literally, or metaphorically, she's going to do something to bring shame where I'm going to be embarrassed in front of this whole community. I better deal with her. I better give her what she wants because she's crying out for justice, right? And so, but, 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 but Jesus is saying here, even if he were unjust, he would respond. And so it's this huge encouragement because less by her, verse five, continual coming, continual coming. She weary me. And then verse 8, Jesus kind of wraps up this parable and says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith here on earth? Will he really find faith here on earth? See, this woman in this story represents or should be representative of us here in this room. We have such a high Cause you have such a high calling, whether it is your vocation or whether you are at a voluntary level. If somebody just drafted you, if you're the janitor and they say, well, nobody run the youth mission, whatever it is, you have a high Calling and a responsibility, so in you should reside this 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 continual coming before God, not only on the behalf of your family and, and your own kids, but for the sake of a generation, for the sake of those who you and so Jesus he juxtaposes the, the, these two parables again, because in cacao this this idea of giving up this woman had none of that in her. As a matter of fact, she was the complete opposite. She was the one who would continually come before the judge and the Lord Jesus is teaching us in prayer. You've got to continually come before and even whenever it doesn't look like I'm moving on your behalf and even whenever you're not seeing exactly what it is that you think that you should be seeing. The admonishment here is in the context of prayer to continually come before the great high just judge because he will respond To you. Because he loves you. No need is too great. No need is too small. And so then he wraps up this whole thing. Verse. Verse 8 here. Kind of concludes. When the son of man comes. Will he really find faith. On the earth. Pistis. Greek right there for faith. So that. Should tell us something. There is at least one aspect of faith, and we've got to allow Jesus to define this for us from his teachings. We can deduce that one aspect or part of the nature of faith is in this idea of chutzpah, this idea of this brazen, this brazen tenacity, this thing inside us that cannot be shaken that no matter how many times I have to show up and present my requests before him, no matter how many times I just have to keep prophesying, speaking what God is speaking over the schools in my region, over the over the, over the the lives of the teenagers I am pastoring and discipling over the one, over the thousand, over the 300. I will continue to speak what God is saying because I'm speaking from a place that I have experienced the just judge. I have experienced... He who cares for every single one of my needs. And so Jesus, again, it's interesting because how did he relate? How What was his response whenever people came to him with, with this level of faith? This, but this Luke 520, when he saw their faith, speaking of the paralytic lowered through the roof, when he saw their faith, the friends who lowered him, he said to him, man, your sins are are forgiven you are like Luke 8:48, and he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That was the moment with the issue of blood. She did not care what people had to say about her. She did not care how ridiculous she looked. She didn't care what she had to do because she had a legitimate need and she knew that Jesus was good and he was gonna meet her at the point of her need. And so Luke 7:50, then he said to the woman, Your faith, your hoots, your piss, it has saved you. Go in peace. As she had broken her alabaster box before everything that she had, symbolic of everything. In her life, God, I am laying it before you. I know you will meet me. I know that you hear me. Or Matthew 15 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be unto you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Or Luke 18 42, then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And this is, of course, the blind man who, even the crowds, he had made them so uncomfortable people started rebuking him. Come on. I just don't think we're praying right until people start rebuking you and say, just stop. You're just believing for too much. You doing too much. You got the spirit of too much. I need you to take it down. I just don't think we're really praying right until people are just kind of a little bit of discomfort. And again, I'm not talking about emotions here. I am talking about this firm conviction deep down on the inside of you that no matter what you see, you know what you have heard and you'll keep speaking until you actually see it because you've heard from God. Now, all of this is based upon the presupposition that you're actually abiding in God. And boy, will that preach John 15, abide in me. And so it's really hard to begin saying what God is saying and hearing what God is speaking. If we're not in the place of seeking him personally, before we pray for a generation, we got to pray for ourselves. Come on somebody. And so all of this is based on the presupposition that you're actually in such close relationship with him, that you are saying what he is saying over your city, over your state, over your region, over your neighborhood starts somewhere faith gotta start so if you don't have faith to believe in for a nation believe in for a neighborhood you gotta just start somewhere where you say my god I am here for such a reason and a purpose and you know what hell will know my name hell will know my name in Jesus' name because of Jesus' grace upon my life And so as the worship team comes tonight, you guys, three simple points here. I mean, number one, really believe that God is good. And that seems so elementary. We tell teenagers and young adults that, like, just believe God is good. Just believe. do Do you really believe that he is good? Do you really believe that he is for you? Because what is alive in you will be alive in them. What's dead in you will be dead in them. And so I'm just calling you. Believe that God is good, and no matter what season you are in, to realize that He is the captain of your soul, He holds your destiny in the palm of your hand. So no matter what man has done, no matter what people have said, no matter who's left you, no matter whom you had to leave, no matter the scars, no matter the wounds, no matter the pain, that he is the captain of your soul. He's the bishop of your soul, like Paul says in the New Testament. Therefore, he will take care of you. Again, simplistic truth here, but it's got to be so deep down inside of you. Can't be rehearsed. Can't be because what is in you there will be an implantation in them you can say it all you want I love to say this all the time What you, you'll add to people what you say but you will multiply in them who you really are as youth pastors and youth leaders oh God that ought to shake you to your core oh God oh God who am I oh Jesus tell me again who I am If you're anything like me, I'm just asking. I mean, almost on a weekly basis, God, I need you to tell me one more time. Just one more time. Tell me you love me again. Tell me I can do this thing again. Oh, God, if you don't show up, it's got to be from this place of desperation on the inside of us. This, I just refuse. I will not be denied. I will not be denied. Others in the Bible who had this kind of Mentality was, it was Jacob. We like to talk about all the wrong things that he did. But there was something in Jacob whenever he began to wrestle with God that cried out from the inside of him, I will not let go until you bless me. And we're still talking about his story today because of this unshakable thing on the inside. I haven't done everything right. I am not perfect. I know that more than anyone else. But I refuse to let go of you. I will not let go of him. I won't let go of what I believe. I won't let go of what God has spoken to me. What he's spoken concerning his purposes, his calling for my life. I refuse to be denied. Number two, so simple here. Refuse to let go of God's promises over you. What is it that God has said to you? Oh, come on, leaders. Oh, come on, pastors. Oh, come on, volunteers, small group leaders, disciplers, mentors, whatever it is, that, however it is that you roll, FCA, huddle group leader, whoever you are. Oh, come on. What is it that God has spoken to you? What promise has he given you? See, some of us has been way too long since we actually believed what God has said to us in the scriptures. It's been way too long. Do you believe? I believe that there's an impartation great faith tonight where some of us have been in a place again like whenever Jesus is performing one miracle he says Lord I believe you can finish the statement but help my unbelief And as said, so many of us are in that kind of valley Lord I believe I believe tonight. It's a legitimate prayer. Come on. Let's take off the mask. Let's be real. I need him to help my unbelief. And thirdly, tonight, I think you have these points on the screen. The last one, resist discouragement and despair. Do we have those three points? So resist discouragement and, and, and despair. So really believe that God is good. Refuse to let go of God's promises And resist discouragement and despair. I don't know where you are. Jesus knows where you are. You know, the whole entire theme of desperation this summer. Hey, you make a way.